Welcome back uh, to fuck. What was the name of our serious IR podcast? Oh, I forgot um, already. Jesus Christ! What? I hate the little button on the back of my head that I push every time we're done every, recording. Every time. Yeah. yeah. Well, welcome to whatever that podcast it was, was. It was we're like narratives and were. like uh, narratives and refuse. It's gone. Or, I don't know. It's it's gone like so many mm. leaves in the wind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like piss down the fucking dunny. It is. It's gone. <laughs> I have I'm been sorry. spending Tears a lot of time. Rain. I've been spending a lot of time um sending Alice the titles of different like IR essays. I don't know, just I don't know if you had done this bit before, but when you listen to those serious ones, it always goes things like, Hello and welcome to the world this evening. Uh this is uh this The World This <laughs> Evening is a really good fucking name for it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. like economist ass name. And you're kind of like, uh in this podcast we speak to fascinating people about the uh, to, uh I fuck I like my brain is just not there, but because it's like one of those yeah. things that you really have to script. But crucially Hello, and you're listening yeah. to Views from your window. <laughs> oh, the sickos oh, you know, podcast. It it's always like, it there's always it was, this, like fascinating people uh, looking at uh, looking at uh, global events uh, that can be very overwhelming, but will shape our lives and our futures. Yeah, it's and like they're looking very, very looking looking at those events through a lens too, which is how you yeah, know that yeah. you're really serious. That's right. No, uh, so in this case, I remember what it was. It was refuse of the future, challenges in geopolitics from Metternich to the 22nd century. There we go. Do you want to start <laughs> again with hello uh, and welcome to? Yes, I will. I will do that. Hello and welcome back to this episode of the rescue. Fuck. <laughs> That's fine. Let's just leave it. <laughs> oh my God, dude. You- uh, uh, no, I Mate, have to. leave all of that in. Look, look okay. <laughs> Serious IR podcast. We are now present. My uh, fellow serious scholars of international relations. Mm. We have been presented with a, a new... A development, a sui generis development in uh, the development of the international sphere. Yeah, a dangerous now, escalation course, has happened in a, in a multipolar sense. We are forced now to ask if uh, reading a poem by Bono uh, is considered uh, in Russian tactical doctrine to be a nuclear strike. Well, of course, Roddy, this is thoroughly out of the ordinary for the Irish government, who are generally neutral on all military matters and previously have only deployed Bono in a UN peacekeeping <laughs> capacity. <laughs> No, uh, so Bono has uh, written a poem that was read by Nancy Pelosi, which essentially Why? is yeah, that's that's like putting <laughs> for what reason? <laughs> it's like just being like a poem by Bono. Well, it can't get more annoying than this. How how is the sentence going to end? I love that one of the most powerful people in the most powerful country in the world is like your weird art teacher who has like, brought mm. in a poem from home that she thinks is really going to inspire us in these difficult times. <laughs> My son Bono wrote this. <laughs> yeah. Nancy Pelosi wearing a pair of dungarees. My, my mononymed son yeah. wrote this poem, and I think it'll really inspire you in your GCSEs. I mean- Given that she's reading poetry while presumably like barred out on a secret rich people version of Xanax, she is getting dangerously close to being like Soldier Boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, if she if she did crank that Soldier Boy, I would respect Nancy Pelosi a lot. Well, more. now that now it's crank that Peacekeeper Boy. I would like to honor the people of Ukraine by saying <laughs> you. <laughs> so that would be yeah. And and apparently uh, yes, it has been um, Soldier Boy has been, been badly affected by the no fly zone. It has been, uh, yeah, because yeah, he, he's too fly. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was the joke I was going for, but it helps when you explain the punchline for me after <laughs> I make right. it. 
That's right. That's 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 the that's the sauce. Yeah, this baby. isn't an ableist podcast. <laughs> We're explaining jokes for people um, who are too stupid to understand them. The, uh, the 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 poem, of course, has been beamed into the uh, Russian nuclear fleet, and they no longer have a second strike capability. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, no, uh, I want to talk about a few things. Uh, we have got a startup today, but there are a couple of items I want to talk about first. Number one. Uh, you thought supply chains were returning to normal. Yeah. They are not. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not uh, my supply chains. But, no, but, but, uh, but how will I get my Bono poems? <laughs> We've already done this. We had the fucking supply chain crisis. Yeah. We we called it correctly like we do everything else, and then we, it was supposed to be done. We're just finished with it. You can't bring shit back in. No. I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid the main villain from the second half of season three, which was supply chains, is now combining with season five. Yeah, the writers, oh, the writers of the show are on strike. Uh, yeah, so we, so we, we like, have to bring back like B-roll footage that can't be used and repurposing them. Uh, we're like twenty-four. Way. We're having to bring back old villains because we're running out of ideas. Uh, <laughs> so the reason that the, the supply chains are going to be uh, turbo fucked again is that uh, China is entering into a series of COVID lockdowns. Uh, so, like, Foxconn uh, has shut down production oh, in its Shenzhen factory. Have they tried doing nothing like we're doing? <laughs> um, well, you know what? We've tried have doing nothing. they tried nothing. having a vaccine that works? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, what's funny about the whole, like, the zero COVID policy in China thing. And people are being, like, you get, like, annoying people online who are like, see, this is what China does when there are three cases of COVID in a city. And it's like, yeah, because their fucking vaccine doesn't fucking work. This isn't showing how good China is. This is like them covering for the massive fuck up they made by developing a vaccine that doesn't work. I'd, I'd, I'm, I'm definitely in like the lib camp on this. I'm like, I love this shit. I love punitive lockdowns at any cost, anytime <laughs> anyone has a cough. I am, I am that person that both of you are furious at because I will fully be yeah. like, oh, someone across town feels a bit ill. It is now illegal to go outside. <laughs> yeah, Alice is like I have trained for yes. this. You were going on dates exactly. with girls. I was studying that, the agoraphobia. That's right. That's right. I I I was studying 1980s German firearms. Yeah, but yeah, like everyone I've spoken to who's living in China is like, dude, it's so fucking annoying living here right now. Like, you just everyone else in the world is just being able to do things and go to places and generally have well, a life. I hope you didn't want to buy anything uh, no. because, like, a car, for example. Uh, or, already got one, baby. <laughs> oh, right. The worst one. Yeah. Yeah, mm. the worst BMW, the most evil car mm. company. Yeah, no, I'd um, buy an exhaust for that car. No, I think Volkswagen is the most <laughs> evil car company. Mm. That's true. No, uh, there are another couple <laughs> the of things. The car invented by Hitler. <laughs> another couple of things. Uh, NFTs, wouldn't you be surprised about this? Uh, a recent analysis of the whole NFT market has mm. shown that monthly buyers dipped below 800000 for the first time since its peak. Oh, damn. Um, the average NFT price has fallen by almost two-thirds. Um, oh, no, but the how? Because they're so naturally valuable, because they're like the pictures of monkeys. Mm. So now's the time, if you want to buy an ape, uh, going begging. Buy the dip. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That's right. So the entire market cap, in fact, of uh, the NFTs has like overall has been like worse than cut in half. Unfortunately, it's still ten billion dollars. Great, um, awesome. But also, I, like the this this article, which is published on One Zero, also shows that if you look at Google Trends, global keyword searches for NFTs are down by seventy percent. It was a oh, fad. No. It was a fad. It was always a fad. It was like a, a, was a, a, fad. a pet rock, except dumber and like uh, uh, <laughs> much more expensive. Exactly. But what, what effect is that going to have on racism? Because when <laughs> when people stopped googling the N word, that was a good thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when people stop right. googling NFTs, what does that mean? 
Uh, well, I think uh, what it's going to mean is that uh, we're going to lose a lot of uh, dope swagness. Oh, no. Yeah. Are they still Googling Frank Sinatra? Because that's another important <laughs> vector. That's a callback from years ago. Yeah, All right. That's, that's some season one shit, we're talking, baby. We're talking a startup here. We haven't done a startup in so long because we've been caught up with talking about like stuff going on. Mm. I'm tired of it. We're going to talk about some stuff going on later well, on I in mean, the episode, but first. So many of our startups lately have been like Web 3.0 bullshit. It's very difficult to follow. And Web 3.0 has also just imploded. So. Yeah, that's right. Met- it's, it, the metaverse is. Uh, Seems to have been like every like metaverse projects are crashing left and right. Web three like Web three seems to be more rug pulls than actual like projects at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep, very but amusing. I keep, but I keep getting tweets from like very real people telling me cool project with like some weird coin or uh, like synthetic uh, well, character on it. So what's, what's really funny? What's really funny about the metaverse, right, is that like it was a bubble uh, driven primarily by people who didn't ever actually see it. Um, like, and at some point they had to, but all of these people would like read blogs or read the Wall Street Journal or whatever, and then eventually at some point they had to put them in a room with some poor fucker from Meta who was like, oh, here is the Metaverse, and everyone realized at once that it has PS1 graphics and all you can do it is peel potatoes. Like from what mm. I see, because I wrote I wrote like something for the Guardian this week uh, in the tech newsletter about mm. this, and it was like this very sort of like critical, well, like a kind of moderately critical. Because I didn't really have that many words, but like it was a moderately critical article about like the idea. Well, I had of the to creator- add all of those words about transphobia. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, <laughs> of all the creative, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to add like right. three or anyway. four paragraphs about women and girls. Metaverse is a women's space. Yeah, I had to like submit them just to kind of get through the first edit. <laughs> anyway, look, um, yeah, like so I published this thing and like it was about the creator economy and it was basically just the idea of saying, but look, the creator economy is just another way of getting more people to do gig work, right? And if like anyone who does creative work or like is a creator on a platform, like that's fairly obvious. Um, I then was like inundated with emails and LinkedIn requests from like various VC funds who are like doing quote web free projects to be like, Hey, would you like to go for like a coffee at this private club, uh, to talk about Mm. like the benefits of web free. Right. And and they always, yes, (laughs) always find out. So yeah, just bring like your, just bring your theater mask and cloak. Um, no, because (laughs) no, because they would never do that. They wouldn't have a theater mask and cloak party, but like what was really interesting or what I kind of like observed is the fact that, okay, all these people work in marketing, like and like so much of like the web free phenomenon is this idea that like in this in a kind of like con- an economy that's like abundant with content market like marketing people have to like jump in on stuff really really fast so actually like it's you know where you sort of have this like untangible idea that like no one really quite knows how to describe you then got like marketing people who are very very like quick to jump in on the stuff and tell you that this is the future and i just sort of wonder whether like there is whether like how that sort of affected um like you know the, the kind of like faith in web free like just the mm. idea that there hasn't been enough kind of real people to like believe in this or even want this to happen and that's like yeah, another just question like, but it was just uh, like aggressively marketed yeah. to yeah, people but like, mar- by but, pe- but like by marketing marketers. people who but marketing people who have to keep churning out content mm-hmm. well we the marketing will continue until the apes are all widely adopted by everyone mm. but no this is a normal startup nothing to do with web3 it's just really fucking do, do, stupid. Does it make a product? Uh, sort of, yes. Is that product going on the computer? <laughs> yes. Okay, so we're, so we're back to sort of like season two, three, four kind of startup yeah, territory. absolutely. It doesn't make a it's thing called... that you can have in your house, but it does make a thing. <laughs> it's called Deepwell. 
Does it make, uh, a, well, does it make a deep further. well in your house? <laughs> you yeah. Can, yeah, you yeah, two yeah, can yeah. frack <laughs> under your house. Yeah. No, it's less useful than that. Deep well digital therapeutics, specifically, as it's called. Digital it's therapeutics. Deep well, I'll even go one further. I'll give you the first line of the copy. Deepwell unlocks the potential of blank to deliver widespread access to powerful mental health treatments at scale. Oh, um... What's... The, now, what... What is something that would be really silly gaming. to unlock the power of? Yes, correct. What? Oh, fuck, no. <laughs> on, on God, on a stack of Qurans, I did not read the notes for this. How the fuck oh. did I get that right? Why... What? What? Oh, I always keep I always keep the startups in a note in a different Google Doc from the one that we ever read. Alice, all you ever see is the word startup when yes, we review the notes. Yes, and, and, and just off the dome, gaming, the power of gaming. Yeah, you're too good I, at it. Okay, I have I want to like find out some more about this because I I think that like the idea of using like video games and mental like it's not like an uncommon. I've seen but there mm. are things that like you, it, it's not like an unserious proposition to kind of think that like video games can be useful for mental health interventions. Sure. However, I have a feeling that this is an incredibly stupid approach to it. Yeah, they're well, putting so mental health in Fortnite. <laughs> right. You could... You could you Prince can, Harry uh, is coming to Fortnite no, no, to no, check it's, it's, in it's, on it's, you. It's, it's, it's a new kind of like plug-in for Tekken. Where like instead of inflicting ah. just physical health, you could also there's an extra bar where it's like <laughs> yeah, mental you health as well. Show them posts mm. on an iPad <laughs> and it inflicts mental damage. <laughs> yeah, again, right. I'm using my special power in Tekken, which is reminding someone about their father. <laughs> <laughs> right. no, so here's the thing, right? Hussein, you are right. Like there is, I think there is like a case to be made that like it's you should be creative with the way that you reach people yeah, with mental health There's a non-stupid way yeah. to do this. I get the yeah. sense that you have not found a non-stupid way to do this here. <laughs> well, it's it's even it's a little more it's a little more sort of further on than that. It's the um they haven't actually made any games yet. Hmm. Uh so but oh, they okay. they certainly uh they have a call out to developers that if you've made a game to submit it to them and they'll put mental health in it. Oh, oh okay. great! So it is like a plugin. I want to. I want to see him put mental health into some pre-existing games. I want <laughs> mental health Call of Duty Four. <laughs> we're get, we're gonna Listen, mod. <laughs> <laughs> how are you? How are you doing today? Like seriously? <laughs> because it's uh, honestly some of the missions we've been doing are quite high stress. It's Call of Duty with <laughs> Prince Harry as like your main quest giver. <laughs> There's a bloke here. He's going to check in on us. <laughs> so, all right, chaps. <laughs> so, essentially, right? They say that they that you can you can. They say, okay, sorry. It takes one whole minute before Wilson, one of the co-CEOs. This is an interview in Engadget. Oh, the, the, the phrase beach ball digital, from Castaway. We're not together, but we, we co-CEO. <laughs> it takes one whole minute before Wilson drops the phrase "quote digital psychedelics" into the conversation. Oh boy! This is his okay. Kind of thing. He's an evangelist for psychedelics with endless stories about Burning Man oh. and the personal therapeutics he benefits. He's reaped. Oh, rip. one of those psychedelic guys. Okay. Psychedelic therapy was a starting point for Wilson and Douglas, and they're looking to mimic the perspective shifting, calming effects of those substances through accessible digital experiences. They're focused on alleviating a mental health crisis that was exacerbated by the global quarantine. So in well, instead, well, of, instead of putting Prince Harry in Call of Duty, they're going to put Ayahuasca in Call of Duty. 
You know what this is? This remember like there was those like YouTube videos that were like this YouTube video will get you high because it mm. plays at a certain frequency mm. or whatever. It's this it's binaural cool. beam. Incredible. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, while it may not be powerful as sitting with a macro dose of mushrooms in a couple of therapists, I love that just two dueling therapists. <laughs> That's right. They're, they're they're going back to back right. in the mix. You're doing mushrooms. The two therapists. One's asking about your dad. The other one's asking about your mom. <laughs> It might not be good for, it might not be one session, two sessions, or three, but is an adjunct therapy that's good for you. Um, literally every game is up for review from the DTX crew, from platformers to narrative ar- adventures to RPGs and shooters. Uh, and so the, the first games are due to start rolling out in 2023. Now, what I really caught me about this, right, is how they position their product. Mm. So they say, Play, this is from, from their marketing copy, play goes beyond entertainment. It is the power to transform our lives. And it starts with an epic game like yours. Why, why, why can't anything just be entertainment anymore? Like, it's doing more for my mental health when everything is shit to just entertain myself. Why does it, why does it have to check in on me as well? This is the thing I'm doing to avoid being checked in on. A, a version of Fucking leave me alone. Fuck off. A version of Elden Ring where it says, don't worry if you didn't beat this boss for the 30th oh, time. Oh my god. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. no, I want the, to the, immerse the myself like, in the- You know, the real monster are the ones inside of us. <laughs> Deepwell takes your already compelling game and harnesses the neurological hooks that make it engaging to deliver uh-huh. therapeutic treatment. Let your, let your game lead the way to a healthier future. Uh, so this is from VentureBeat, a tech news site, and that's really funny. I I checked the press release that they sent out. the 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 article in VentureBeat, boy, does it have a lot of similar words to the press release. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Conceived in the Just COVID nineteen pandemic, uh, Deepwell's DTX enabled games represent a new tool to confront the widespread crisis. And this is where I wanted to pull it out. That continues to threaten healthcare systems around the world. Ah, that's right. Instead of instead of like therapy, we have prescribed you gaming. Instead of therapy, we have prescribed. <laughs> we've you accidentally made you much four. worse. Yeah, <laughs> you, you're, you're gonna. Yeah, we, right. We've prescribed you becoming a kind of esoteric fascist. No one remembers anymore. <laughs> you're gonna. You used to be depressed, but now you can be a phalangist. <laughs> if we branded it as hearts of gold for I might be a Nazi, but I really care about how you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we failed to take Stalin guards, that must be so hard. The thing to. about Evan Rommel is he checked in on his blogs very often. Mm, uh, as check in on your urine. <laughs> uh, so everyone everyone hold on for this sentence that's gonna annoy the piss out of you. Okay, brace. Uh, that goes for listeners as well. As disparities in access to quality healthcare have persisted and worsened during the course of the pandemic, so too a forecast for the future. Mm. The United States Department of Health and Human Services predicts that by 2030, mental health will become a leading medical concern. Um, and again, they're saying, so play a game about it. Yeah, ha- yeah ha- basically. But not in a way that you enjoy already, which would be the reason why you would play it. No, instead, make it sort of more onerous and medicalized and tick some boxes to say that you're feeling fine in a way that like um, is capital M, capital H, mental health, as opposed to things that might relate to how you're actually feeling. <laughs> yeah, cool. now in those online shooter games, as well as there being a place in the squad for a medic, there'll be a place in the squad for a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> and so if any of your players are feeling down, they just come around and are TF2, like... TF2, meet uh, the therapist. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Why don't uh, we just take a deep breath? 
Uh, Remember right. that stress helps us cope with situations. Yeah, it's like it's this. like you have if you hit triangle, you switch your gun, you hit you switch it again, and you hit it a third time, and you switch to CBT, which <laughs> yeah, like yeah. improves your uh, overall resilience. Calcum ball torture. <laughs> yeah. Deepwell, Deepwell is bringing entertainment and medical science together to build on the build on the proven fact that video games can be good for you. I think this is the product of someone trying to stick it to their mother. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's grim though. I really don't like this one. I, 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 what I also love about it is that there's no, there's no substance to it whatsoever. At no point do they explain how they can make a video game that's good for your mental health. They do. It's just more like, wasn't that funny? Mm. All right. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's about like, you know, mess. It's just, it's like how to get a message to someone. It's the same thing as like telemedicine, but it's less interactive. Mm. Um, right. Getting, getting yeah, yeah. teabagged uh, by your new therapist. Yeah, that's right. My new, my new therapist All of duty, called- but like the death loading screen is just like, hey, why not take a minute and make yourself a green tea? <laughs> Ooh, caffeinated. Mm. Uh, but also like Dwight D. Eisenhower. To think about like that, that this is happening also while the U.S. has just decided, yeah, we're just not going to do COVID anymore no. at all. We've so like, like, like they literally, it's not. This isn't just like people deciding to remove restrictions. The you the the Congress forgot to fund. Uh, vaccines or treatments. Yeah, because they had to COVID. listen to that poem, and it really affected them emotionally. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, so like that's just kind of it, right? They're they the the people people in charge of um of of the COVID response in the country are just like, yeah, sorry, we they didn't fund us anymore, so we can't buy any of like the monoclonal antibody treatments. We can't like buy more vaccines. <laughs> that's cool. They're just gonna be like like it, not only are they not vaccinating the developing world, they're also not vaccinating most of America. And that's equality, baby. Mm-hmm. They believe in it. I I guess so. <laughs> um, but like yeah, but hey, don't worry about it. We're gonna have like a video game that like treats COVID at some point. Yeah. It'll, it'll be yeah. really well. The video games that will be very good at managing AD, like collective ADHD. Hmm. Yeah, you can see Doctor Mario. <laughs> and of course, it, it, by the it way, it gives you ADHD at the same time that it helps treat <laughs> it. Like cancels yeah, itself it's out. A nice neutral game. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, uh, this is the, all of this spending is being cut for like getting COVID vaccines to uninsured people. So now COVID vaccines in the US are just going to be very expensive, hmm. uh, unless like something is done to patch this hole. Which I don't know if there will be. Uh, maybe, maybe they will decide. Oh, wait a minute! COVID is kind of still happening. We should probably get vaccines and treatments to people that we just failed to do. But also, probably they also won't. I mean, also just There's like different co- things in the news now. Just to also bear in mind that like um, COVID, I think like in America, there was like there was a there was a clip that was sort of going around of uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, who like yelling at kids like who were wearing masks, right? Uh, kind of just saying, but you know, this is COVID theater, and like, you know, you don't need to do this anymore. COVID's over. Like, why are you virtue signaling, etc.? Like, basically, these extremely online ter- like these terms. And I think that, like, in Florida and in Texas, and I think in Arizona as well, what's been very interesting is that like COVID hasn't quite disappeared, but it's become like a fully immersed culture war issue. Um, and one, so like, even if there was kind of like a reconcerted plan to. Uh, like manage COVID or at least to kind of like provide vaccines again, I imagine that it would just, it would be shut down because crucially, like it's no longer really like a public health crisis with a culture war kind of attachment. It is very much like a culture war issue with like a public health attachment, maybe. Mm. It's very funny that the governor of the state like went into a school probably to do some bullshit PR appearance, like you know, read them a book while 9 11 3 is happening or whatever. <laughs> but instead, 
just like ends up being like, you kids are fucking cucks. <laughs> <laughs> You're all virtue. You're all virtue signal. Yeah, he uses the term, and I was just like, wow, like the real pandemic yeah. is Poster's brain like, infecting some, everyone. This is like, this is like bipartisan because now you have Putin talking about how Russia is being cancelled and how uh, everybody who doesn't like the war wants gender freedoms. So no, it was it was it was both. It was yeah. it was like you you can go and live in Miami or like or Italy and live in your villa and have your foie gras and gender free. Meanwhile, the, gov- the governor of the state that Miami is in is like talking the exact same way. So yeah. it's perfect. I can't, I can't believe that Rod Liddle is writing speeches for Vladimir Putin now. It's crazy. <laughs> Enough uh, of these gender Marxists. Right. Uh, it really is so, a triumph uh, of the spectator writer. At long last, yeah. at long last, living Marxism has triumphed without ever doing any Marxism. They are like the most successful political magazine. Yes. yes, it's like if we went off the air, all went and became sleeper agents in the state, and then like twenty years later, the largest news source in Britain was uh, like gettingyourdicksucked.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, right. the the prime minister was a Swedish Italian. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. We wouldn't affect anything different materially, but all of yeah. our little fucking like jokes and goofs would be in there. Are you suggesting also that whatever the, the, this state that we sort of you know seize control of more or less, our greatest enemy would also be speaking the same language yes. and have the same concerns? Yes, yeah, yes, awesome. absolutely. Perfect. So I want to talk a little bit about one more one more item before we talk about events, um, which is I don't I don't know if anyone remembers um, if you recall that uh, some some years ago there was a politician called Jeremy Corbyn and. Um, he was uh, sort of dogged by what were sort of mostly spurious accusations of anti-Semitism throughout his, most of his career. Well, uh, it turned out, wouldn't you know this, uh, that uh, one of his top aides, Laura Murray, who was spuriously accused of being an, of personally being an anti-Semite by, the, by Ian Austin, uh, who was elevated to a peerage for his efforts in fighting anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, by huh. the Tory party, that an article he wrote in the Telegraph calling her an anti-Semite baselessly turned out to be the subject of legal action that she took on the basis that it was baseless to call her an anti-Semite, mm-hmm. and wouldn't you know that she won like forty thousand pounds out of it and extracted an apology from Lord Austin, both in in the form of the Telegraph's uh, corrections, but also a personal tweet. Now, what she didn't do, what her legal team didn't do, was to say. Uh, you have to put please retweet in there, which means uh, she had yeah. worse lawyers than Jeremy Corbyn did. And what she also Ben Bradley's got um got copyright. Yeah, on, actually. And, and what what she also uh, her legal team also didn't do was say you have to keep the replies on. But mm. what happened was uh, Ian Austin turned the replies off on his tweet apologizing to her. But not before one single <laughs> glorious soldier of the left got in under the fucking wire and simply mm. replied to him with owned perfect <laughs> greatest use of Twitter. I, I, but like, if you think about this, right? This is uh, this is going to cause nobody to reassess the situation. No. None of the principled campaigners and the thing the judgment found right that she was working hard in. They, 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 it has been legally admitted in the in the British court system 
that Laura Murray was working tirelessly to fight at any anti-Semitism that sure, was in the but, Labour Party. Like, as, as we know, like this, this isn't like the courts aren't where these things are. If you'll excuse the choice of no, words, of litigated. Uh, they're litigated in the Telegraph, and so that like having to do a correction that nobody but us is going to remember or notice is like. A relatively small price to pay. Paying exorbitant amounts of damages is a relatively small price to pay because the damage has very much been done. And I think it is like clearly by this point, it's not possible to to repair it. Like uh, the 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 smear worked, and it just it's it continues to. So all all we can do on the left is just remember that this happened and occasionally dip in and be like owned. Yeah, or like this you. That's the only thing we can do. We can only this you people. I I think it's this is one of this go. The reason I want to talk about this is obviously not because I want to talk as as you say, right? Not to imagine that like ah, this will surely be a corrective. This will or to point out the hypocrisy of the principled campaigners against racism who haven't taken someone who again has been legally found to be a principled campaigner against racism into their ranks and all this stuff. But rather just to underscore that the most important. In in relation to all of these things that are going on, um, nobody else is going to remember it Mm -hmm. because everybody in Britain has a dog brain. Yes. Uh, So you must remember there. You're going to want to forget, but do not. Under any circumstances, allow yourself to forget. I mean, there's also just like, and we you know we, me and Nate sort of talked about was with, with the Trojan horse stuff as well, uh, where a lot of this, where a lot of this stuff is also kind of very tied into um, careerism and is tied into like the very small circles of like media and politics in this country and in London. So even when things turn out to be remarkably wrong, and like I, I would encourage like listeners to like really read that correction. Because, like, in simple terms, it was very much just like every accusation that was made against Laura Murray was found to be entirely incorrect. And that there was evidence to support the con, like, there was evidence to the contrary. Um, but, like, none of this is going to matter. Like, it's, it's, it's not to say that, like, none of this is going to matter because maybe, like, long time in the future it will. But it's to say that, like, in this current moment, even when, mis- even when these types of, like, uh, even when, where, even when these like obvious mistakes are kind, of, I again, I don't really want to call them mistakes, but like even when these kind of like, um, you know, obvious fake accusations are revealed, or when like misdemeanors are uh exposed, or you know, in the case of like Trojan Horse, where like you know, an entire like you know structural bureaucracy is sort of shown to be actively discriminating against people. Um, there are too many people who are like invested in the logics of that and like their careers are very much embedded into that for like any type of self-reflection or institutional reflection to even be entertained as a concept. Um, which is to say that like the, the kind of like the, the, I don't necessarily want to say fantasy because like that sort of dismisses all of it, but like the scale at which anti-Semitism in the Labour Party was uh, presented and was utilized during the election. There were so many people involved and still involved in that for like various other grievances that have nothing to do with anti-Semitism. That like this, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll sort of leave it there because like I think people know what I mean. But yeah, I don't want to spend too long on this either, right? Because there's little you can do other than just remember and just don't don't pretend that you know this organization cares about you. I mean, obviously they don't or whatever. Um, but, you know, congratulations to uh, Laura Murray, a small sliver of uh, good news. Yeah, fi- so, financially at least. Yeah. 
Here at here at Trash Future Farms, we remember stuff. <laughs> That's right. We don't really do anything else with it. No. We just remember it's it. Just, we're little custodians of, of memory here. Um, yeah. Anthony Costa from Blue, remember him? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> remember the members of JLS? We're pretty sure we could name at least oh, one I of do. them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I couldn't because I'm not from here. Uh, uh, so I wanted to sort of transition into. Say? <laughs> Transition into events. No, Riley, you only remember Canadian things, so it would have to be like, remember yeah. Jean Chrétien? I do. Yeah, I See? do remember Jean Chrétien. I remember uh, mm. Dasha winning an handshake there. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's when he pushed a guy's face away. He was trying to like you know fuck with him, and he says, "Hey, I gave him Dasha winning an handshake." Yeah, he, he was in the gay sauna. This guy, I was very sleepy, and uh, uh, listeners, look up I a picture of this guy away. Look up a picture of the Shawinigan handshake. I'm amazed that you uh, didn't name funny. your Canadian politics podcast the Shawinigan handshake. To be honest. Well, <laughs> Now it's too late, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. The Shawinigan handshake is when you get jacked off in the gay sword. That's right. Uh, I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't think Jacques Chrétien jacked that guy off. That's a different small Canadian town. <laughs> it's the Fort Mac wanna, handshake. Yeah. yeah I yeah, want to yeah, talk yeah. about this, right? Because uh, this is, in other news, if you know. My hands are registered as erotic weapons. <laughs> in other news, of things are happening that have happened before. Uh, I'm going to cast once more back to Corbin, and then we're going to bring it back to the present day, which is that when uh, he accused the Tories of being, you know, awash in, uh, you know, money linked to uh, various kinds of criminal Russian oligarchs, um, the response, of course, was, should Corbin resign for this remark? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and now, right, uh, once again, the um, when uh, Starmer said... Uh, going cap in hand from dictator to dictator is not an energy strategy. Uh, once again, the same thing is being deployed against him, saying that's a very distasteful thing to say. As we uh, go, go see like all of our friends in Gulf monarchies asking them very nicely to increase oil production. Yeah, please do not point this out when we're currently, yeah. you know, trying to do the embarrassing thing. Yeah, yeah that's stop right. it. There's there's nothing wrong with a good beheading. I mean, Keir Starmer, Keir Starmer has committed um, one of the great... Uh, well, you know, he, he's, he's miscalculated uh, once again because what he doesn't understand is that if there is one thing that British people will fight for, it's not for really for like the future of the country, it's not really for their children, it's not for institutions, but it is, in fact, their cars. Um, mm. And Keir Starmer is threatening the country with not being able to use their big cars. Mm. Yeah. Range Rover yeah. Mum is ready to drive yeah, if, if, uh, if, into the Southern if, Congress. If Keir Starmer ever shows yeah. up in Dartford, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's in big trouble. The people's, yeah, the people's militia will be there. He's not, he's not welcome on the Elizabeth II bridge. <laughs> he's Keir Starmer banned from blue water. Can I tell you something very funny, though? Right, I don't know uh, if it's going to live up to the Shawinigan handshake. British, to be honest, British, mm. British listeners might might know this, but American listeners might not. Mm. Is that Johnson failed to secure commitments from the Saudis to step up oil production? I, I fucking love Saudi foreign policy. <laughs> he refu yeah, he ref mm. he refused to convert to. He was like, I like uh, I appreciate you, but like I am a Shia Muslim, and I'm going to stay a Shia Muslim. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, he's a, he's a he's a Turk at his at absolutely. His, at his yeah. He lost in his yeah, heart right. for Vienna. I yeah. so no, but how how fucking cucked are like you know, like the U.S. and U.K. How good that, are the like, Saudis? The one the one thing 
that all of these sort of massive foreign policy concessions, all of the just dumping money in there, letting like basically building the country such that it would be run by like people who, so long as they were friendly to us, could do whatever the fuck they want. Mm-hmm. Like all, all supporting every fucked up thing they do, like getting into like uh, so being do, do, doing going into doing these, a naval yeah, blockade okay. to enable their pet genocide as a favor, writing yeah. them off, mm. uh, like hacking a Washington Post columnist apart with saws, like uh-huh. favor after favor after favor, and then we try and call one in back, and they're just like, <laughs> like no, no. listen, Jim. <laughs> Jamal Khashoggi walked backwards out of the Saudi embassy in perfect health. How he then afterwards ended up in a suitcase is beyond I, anyone's I explanation. Respect, I respect the Saudis here so much because, like, it takes so much fucking chutzpah to play us like a fiddle for this long, right? To just get, like, every single possible concession out of us, and then when we really are over a, over a barrel of oil, we're just like, no. Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> fuck off. We won't be doing that. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> oh, awesome. Perfect. Yeah, just like, it's, I mean, it's, it's sort of, um, like, we were talking about this earlier, right? Like, Oh, 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 by the way, just before we go on, you know what the UAE is doing with its energy industries? Mm. It's privatizing them. <laughs> like, not just its energy industries, but also its, like, power generation capacity and its water production. Okay, that's... It's privatizing them for some that's reason. That's, like, borderline suicidal. Like, the, Sa- the Saudi thing here is, I think, quite canny, if, uh, like, yeah. obscenely trolling. The, the, fuck, that's more like, um... Jesus, that's like reading too much von Mises and like dynamiting your own economy. It's it's like they they took a like um, they have taken a um, essentially like this just a Britain pilled. Yeah, no, they've taken an investor Mm. in Argentina pilled. They've turned themselves from like yeah a uh, a kind of just money generating machine, oil exporting country. All this, they're turning themselves into Britain or like Colonia Dignidad with some (laughs) like free market experiment. Yeah, great. Yeah, how, wait, how are we gonna Couldn't have happened to a nicer country. Yeah. Wait, how are we going to be able to afford our white belts? The Saudi Air Force is going to have much whiter, broader belts. <laughs> oh, you hate to see that. They're going to have so many more dates and baklava in the, in the <laughs> cockpits of their F-22s or whatever. Yeah. I, I think every, look, every American president gets to have one insane war against a small country. Sure. I think Biden should be against Saudi Arabia. We bring Iran back into the fold, <laughs> which we are sort of doing. It seems we team Ooh, up and we I get don't the know. Saudis. I don't know. I don't know if the U.S. military is capable of defeating the the Royal Saudi Air Force. I mean, that's mm. a lot. That's a lot yeah. of Dior belts, you know. Yeah, those those, yeah. those guys with their uh, 2008 era shutter shade uh, visors. <laughs> it's great. Uh, just like get, get in. It's just like it's. They, they, for some reason, they've taken, um, they've welded a Bugatti uh, badge onto the front of the plane so it falls apart when it's flying. I, it's somehow I, worse than the F-35. Yeah, I, I mean, as as you say, this has led us to some strange bedfellows, right? Um, because now we need oil, and we need oil, we, I say we, I mean the US, the UK, Europe, whatever. Um, that, like, I, I know that's perhaps fallacious to say we, but I'm using it in a shorthand, fuck off, don't at me. Um, so, like, we we need we need oil badly, and therefore we're going to anyone who has it. And this has led us back to Nicolas Maduro, who is the legitimate yeah. president of Venezuela once again. 
crazy <laughs> how that happened. I mean, yeah. good luck for the Silver Corp guys. Yeah, you know, no, that's, yeah. that's, go- that's real awkward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trouble is, we don't need silver. Yeah, right. No. They're just gonna, oh, oh, the Silver Corp guys, they can just fly to, you know, Donbass. I'm sure they'll be treated very well. Um, <laughs> no, um, so, the, so yeah, I guess wait, what, Juan Guaido is now out of a job overnight. As you know, the, I, I as almost feel bad this, for him. Yeah. No, no, I don't. I'm lying. I don't feel bad for him at all. Right, uh, but also like, Iran and the UK, like this intractable um, uh, sort of prison prisoner swap situation, uh, seems to have become much more tractable. We found a way to pay them the 400 million pounds we owed them. Uh, yeah, Ian Austin's account. <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's really funny, right, is that the, the, the debt that this is about, right, is uh, we had contracted, Britain had, with the Shah of Iran to deliver, uh, like, some amount of tanks. Then the Islamic Revolution happened, uh, and we decided that the deal was off, and the Iranians still wanted compensation for this. And so we've paid them something like 400 million quid. Uh, I think there was an easier way out of this, and I'm remembering my contracts tutorials, and I think the answer is, uh, we simply send them a shitload of 1979 vintage tanks. Yeah, send them some chieftain tanks. Yeah. What What are you complaining about? We have we have fulfilled yeah. every every like contractual obligation. A, a tank where like everything inside it is made out of asbestos. Yeah, this is what we're essentially doing is <laughs> yes, trying to repair. It's, it's there's just this um. This whole, I mean, the, the fact of this whole geopolitical alignment, this realignment that's taking place, right? All of these axes of um, sort of alliance and enmity and some, some I'm not saying, no, you know, it'd be ludicrous to overstate the case and say, we're now aligned with Iran, which is still like talking to Russia and everything. No. But, yeah, but, yeah, but it is like, yeah, in this country. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it speaks to like how weird and how unexpected uh, Putin invading Ukraine was, that it's thrown everything out of whack to the extent that we don't really know where anything's going to land yeah. yet and it has led us to these these strange places and like uh, sometimes history has a way of doing this you remember the like week where donald trump almost reunified korea until he got mad at uh, fucking robert de niro <laughs> and then got bored and left oh yeah man. awesome love that but i took a very tough one of my line favorite things she's ever Salman. done i said britain now recognizes the fourth caliph and you're just going to have to accept that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he didn't put, turn on the oil, because he was he's too Shia. Um, no, no, but like, all of these, if you recall, for sort of every journalist and think tanker, fucking from Thomas Friedman to the American Enterprise Institute to the Henry Jackson Society, all of these organizations have, for as long as we can remember, right, they have been pushing the line that you know, the, the foreign policy decisions made by the US, UK, etc., etc., are made on a straightforwardly moral basis. The big geopolitics switch has been turned to off since 1990. Yes. Yeah. Like, there was, there was a brief, there was a brief uh, sort of like pause in this when we had neocons, like, uh, who, who were like, actually, no, this is good. We should take and exercise power in order to, like, uh, you know, have a new American century. But then that was very carefully, like, hushed back up again. And so you just had this whole sort of like media industry all crowding around with their backs to the big switch that says geopolitics. Uh and being like, yeah, it says off actually. You can't look at yeah, it. That's right. Um, yeah, that's but right. but like trust me, it, it does say off. There is no geopolitics anymore. Everything that happens is a straightforward moral test. And we certainly aren't doing anything that you could describe as like real politic. 
or like anything like the that. The geopolitics button is in Boris Johnson's office, right next to the stop Brexit button and the racism button where all the letters have been worn off. Yeah, every leader of every country has all of these buttons and switches in their office, like a big like railway signal box. And they spend yeah, they spend all day like shifting levers up and down and turning hand cranks and pushing buttons. There's the Schwinnigan handshake button where if you press it, a robotic hand comes out of the wall and jacks you off. No, it pushes you away by the face. That's the Schwinnigan handshake you fucking asshole yeah, stop getting yeah. stuff about canada wrong <laughs> you're really gonna have to rename the hey, boss bud, i'm ha- hacking back a cock here going <laughs> <laughs> out for it. a johnson are you bud god damn it uh no right like you- god damn god damn you my yeah. <laughs> i hate you so much yeah. Getting a Shawinigan reach around. <laughs> Getting jacked off and going, oh, fuck yeah, bud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, no. getting a Shawinigan handshake in the bathroom of the Tim Hortons. Okay. Getting a Shawinigan handjob. Yeah. Yeah. All right. right. All right. So, this is something we were talking about, uh, Alice, earlier, right? That this is yes. what, we, what we talk about, right? This is, and this is mostly a product of like the Obama era foreign policy, right? Where. Um, the U.S. decides. Yeah, we're, we're like the president is a benevolent philosopher king, but like I, I, I feel like you have to understand this basically as uh, you having been lied to, right? And uh, not just by the media, not just by think tank guys, also by like the president himself at times. So it's like, no, I, I just like I'm not doing, I'm not doing any kind of like great power shit at all because this switch is off. And of course, secretly he is doing the great power shit. He's just doing it to people and in places where you know you're not going to see it or like it's not going to matter as much. Like you can you can do a bit of genocide in, in Yemen or whatever. Hmm. You can do drone treat. strikes and Smidge. yeah, you can do drone strikes in the Horn of Africa. You can do like uh, special forces raids in in Pakistan, whatever. Um, and and this like worked for a while, right, in the sense of most people didn't care, um, b- because, like, people are, like, beaten down, anatomized, and ignorant, and somewhat racist, and all of this. Um, except now, uh, our boy, Putin, has kind of thrown a wrench in this, right, by invading Ukraine, and now, all of a sudden, we have to do shit that's visible in a place that we're already, like, primed to care about. Like, whenever Jens Stoltenberg or whoever else says that, um, like, the invasion of Ukraine is the first time war's been back in Europe since 1945, like, yes, he's forgetting the Balkan Wars because he's an idiot, but he's also forgetting them because they're kind of, like, they were seen at the time and they were treated as at the time as this, like, peripheral thing that you can kind of, like, not really worry about that much. Whereas this is, like, now in the framework of, like, civilization or whatever. Well, it's, I think what, the way I sort of see this, right, is that for a very long time, you know, we were pursuing this strategy, a strategy of confrontation, right? Mm. But massively undermining... And again, like, I, I think that... I believe that the strategy of confrontation was the wrong one to pursue, but that also it has been pursued badly. Uh, where yeah because because we kept sabotaging ourselves by lying about it i think that's the thing right so we we tried to have our cake and eat it or rather nato did yeah. mm. we tried to eat a fish and sit on a dick as the russians would say exactly exactly and and the eating a fish was like 
uh, pursuing this strategy of confrontation People with Russia. People in Miami, they right. wish to eat fishes and sit on homosexual <laughs> dick. <laughs> and, and, and the sitting on homosexual dick part was like, uh, then immediately be backing down off of things and pretending as if we weren't being imperialist because that was the last thing that would ever come to our mind. And it's like, now we've been forced into this position where we have to like snap back to actually, okay, we are going to do realpolitik. The big geopolitics which is on. Uh, it is it, it is stupid and, and naive and facetious of you to complain about us going cap in hand to MBS or to Maduro or to anyone else because that's how great power works and we're doing great power now, and you're stupid for ever having thought otherwise. And I mean, it doesn't have to be that way, but I do kind of agree those people are at least being honest now. And I think what what's incumbent on us, and this is kind of tied back to the uh, like this you remembering shit that happened thing, is that now that we're doing this, now that we've all sort of taken off our masks and we're agreeing that like oh NATO is like this geopolitical force that does have to act and think like an empire, right? Um, I think it's incumbent on us to go. Okay, you can never go back to telling us that the geopolitics switch is off again because we remember where we were when you just decided to come clean with us. That's exactly right. It's it's that they're because as soon as this is over, they're going to depend on you to forget, right? That that yeah, whatever yeah. whatever over looks like, it's going to be like, well, that's that's done with now, uh, and and we can go back to being a sort of like moral international actor guided by first principles as opposed to like a great power that is trying to counterbalance another yeah, one. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And and if you want to even take this one step further, right? We I, what I sort of allude to quote unquote when this is all over, right? You can sort of look at this not just in terms of, you know, imperial management. I mean like where most sort of um in terms of foreign policy, the main argument sort of since 2016 has been do we do competent imperial management or incompetent imperial management? <laughs> um, and you know, and a lot yeah. of people went for incompetence. Yeah. That 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 was the biggest failure of the Obama doctrine. Was like, well, there are pros what? on both sides, you know. <laughs> was was it was to be like, oh, I've built this system that requires the gentle, deceitful touch of a benevolent spy master philosopher king, um, and then the game show host guy from <laughs> The Apprentice inherits that job. I mean, so, time I think about that, that's just so funny. It's it's like a sort of much bigger, more con. It's a much sort of bigger, and in terms of like you know its ability to inflict pain, like more consequential version of what the U what the UK like Labour Party did in the two thousands, building all of the <clears throat> institutions that require a philosopher Trump, king. Trump actually kind of was a philosopher king. He's like constantly wrapped up <laughs> in musings. He sort of had the presidency thrust upon him and kind of abhorred the office. Sure. He just all he also wanted true. to do was do his tweets and thoughts, uh-huh. and he did, and he was president out of a sense of duty. You know, I think Trump is the closest to a philosopher king that uh, that America has ever had, and <laughs> probably ever will have at this point. Yeah, and crucially, like one, like the like the kind of most recent president whose like mythology sort of exceeds them in quite like mm. an expansive and global way. Mm. Never like people try people try to attribute that to Obama, but I think Trump kind of achieved yeah. that. Well, and also uh, like like Mithridates, he's eaten so many Big Macs that he's now immune. <laughs> so I, I want to <laughs> also like talk about not just the sort of the sort of the the, the transformation of um uh, obviously these imperial uh, sort of management institutions into straightforwardly imperial institutions with hmm. geopolit- geopolitical aims that are related to geopolitics, but you can also see it in how the world of investing is grappling with current events. 
where I don't know if, hmm. if any of you might have seen this. It's almost as if those things are like linked to some part of ideology. <laughs> oh, come on. Mm. That's crazy. Ah, I, yeah. On the subject of investing, I found it so funny when all of these like w- massive Western companies were having to queue up to sell billions of dollars worth of Russian assets that they had. But like, we're not talking like retail companies or whatever that had like stores in Russia. But like, get, like Br- British oil companies and American oil who'd bought up huge chunks of Russian state oil companies, and it's like. Did you honestly think this was a good idea? Like, you could almost, you could ask the guy in the street, like, do you think buying some of a Russian state oil company is a good investment? Or do you think there is a massive political risk there that is entirely unpredictable? And like, the average guy in fucking Dagenham would have been like, no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but BP are like, what can go wrong? We signed a contract. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, it made, it made all the people who did it rich enough that they could, you know, retire to their various golden boats. Well, I guess. Absolutely. Like, Plus, yeah. as we've seen from Iran, contract law wins out in the end. We're going to mm. get our chieftain tanks off of the Russians. That's right. right. They're going to have to learn how I to mean, make the, them first. Yeah. The, the, the big mistake <laughs> is uh, the, the assumption that Putin loved treats enough that he wouldn't do anything too out there. Yeah. Mm. And it pe- and and the ultimate effect is that when Putin realized that like mm. treats weren't enough to live a fulfilling life, that he wanted to have, you know, he wanted to have his Napoleon moment. It's because fucking Jordan Peterson went to Russia. This is this is the thing that struck me about the analysis of this whole thing, right? Which is that there's like this massive lack of complexity in the way people think about it, where like NATO and like the West has pursued like a confrontational strategy with Russia in like in recent years. But they had the treats guy before, Yeltsin, right? Like that that was the time to like not do a kind of like uh corporatist raid on the Russian economy and kind of like hug Russia tight and bring it into some kind of like modern world consensus where it has like a proper functioning economy and institutions that work and so on. But by the time like Putin was being Putin, there was kind of no non-confrontational strategy available, essentially. They'd already made the mistake. And so then, yeah, and then, that's and true. then, so when people are like, "Oh, well, NATO should have done this," that, it's like, no. Like, I, I saw a good tweet where someone was like, "It's a shame that NATO gave Ukraine all those weapons because otherwise Putin would have been forced to embrace the Brotherhood of Man." And it's like <laughs> it, that, that is just very true. It's just like you, the people assume that Putin is like playing. I think they're like wrongly kind of putting him in the same box in their heads as like the Iranians who are kind of like boxed into a corner and actually have proven they're quite willing to come to the negotiating table at like hmm. all sorts of points in the past and it's mostly been us who have like fucked it up whereas like no like Putin just has his own game that he's going to play and you can't really like nice him out of it but that doesn't also mean that the west doesn't do bad and stupid things but like two things can be true at the same time uh, yeah so, absolutely i i, I want to talk about uh, about this this thing right here with this this transformation in ESG this thing we've talked about before right what is what, ESG is like ethical investing yeah environmental right? ethical it's... sodium glutamate a, 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 eth- oh. environmental social governance you invest mm. not just for a return but because you want to uh, generate an outcome. You know, it's all very like you know. By a huge state I, 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 I invest. Yeah, I invest in the tree planting company because I want trees yeah, to be planted. Exactly. Um, and uh, I invest in the grass planting company because I want grass to grow. Mm. Uh, what makes grass grow again? Uh, mm. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I invest in the magic. boring company because yeah. I want Tesla owners to die. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the 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 um uh basically there is no sort of working there is there are sort of various working definitions of ESG. It's not a legal term. It's not a regulated term. It's basically a marketing term. But generally speaking, mm. it's for investing that might exclude like fossil fuels or tobacco or weapons manufacturing. Now, mm. 
given the news, right, uh, analysts from uh, quoted, quoted in the FT said, defense is likely to be increasingly seen as a necessity that facilitates ESG as an enterprise, as well as maintaining peace, stability, and other social goods. So... I know. I remember suddenly what makes the grass grow. Uh, because we're doing ethical arm stocks. That's right. That's right. Hell yes. Biodegradable AK. So, That's what I want. Class, <laughs> so basically it means like classing defense as an ESG category. Because like even by their own standards, right? Even by their own standards of good guys and bad guys, right? Defense company contractors will generally sell to fucking anyone, right? If yes. you're investing, if you're yeah. investing in, in a company that's going to make like um, you know end laws for Ukraine, you're investing in a company that's also making bombs for Yemen. Uh, sure, so- they they will sell to anyone it's legal to, and also a lot of people it isn't. Hey, um, it's defense. It's not offense. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> but uh, but like all of a sudden, right there, the, there is this rush. Uh, there's this serious consideration from like actual people, like within like MSCI, some of these um uh, uh, sort of like ESG uh, companies that grant like. Organizations that will say, "Ah, oh, here's our ESG index, whatever," to bring defense. Yeah, here's, here's your like fund of yeah. stocks. Yeah, to bring defense contractors in. Right, it's being seriously considered at not defense contractors, but like to like BAE Systems. It's being seriously considered at this point. Um, <laughs> and it's like, it, it, it so it just yeah, it British shows aerospace ethical systems. It shows mm-hmm. it shows just as like the concepts that these these sort of axes of alliances and enmities, whatever, were sort of you know. Uh, turns out they weren't straightforwardly moral. This surprises nobody. It also turns out that this uh, this thing about ESG investing, like again, it was, it's st- it is it is purely this uh, a sort of marketing push. But also, it seems to be to me a way for like people who invest a lot of their money who read the news to try to make themselves feel better about the news. It's it's just a ah, strategy of investing yeah. that tries to like it's news anxiety relief. Sure. Well, I I, I mean I I think. You can talk about morals, and now that we are talking about morals, right, I, I think you can justify the idea of, like, in particular, like, arming Ukraine, right? I think you can you can go into that with your eyes open, and you can say, this may have, may very well have all kinds of horrible consequences down the line, when some fucking, like, Azov or right sector guy, you know, uses some of our very ethical semtex to blow up something in the West he doesn't like. Um... I think you can still say, like, this is less worse than us not doing it. I think it's just, again, it's incumbent on us to be like, okay, but you have to, we have to, like, remember that you said that at the time. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, if, if you say, like, it is, it is, it is a, a deal with the devil, right, to arm mm-hmm. Combat 14 or whatever. Uh, I wonder what that 14 yeah, stands sure. for, right? But that's that's a deal with the devil that could be, could be yeah, anything. That's a yeah. deal with the devil that we are making. And again, we're going to be asked to forget. You're going yeah. to be asked mm-hmm. to forget that that's what it is that we're doing. We're, oh, we're making uh, that. Yeah, we, we flood Ukraine with all these weapons, right? It, it's you, we saw like the the recent like import of all those weapons into Ukraine, like the 20 million rounds of of of, of ammunition, all these pistols, like rifles, all this stuff. Like that doesn't go away after this is done, and a lot of it no, is going well, the into the biodegradable ones. Yeah, and a lot of it is going into the hands <laughs> of yeah people like Azov, Adar, C14. They're the main beneficiaries of what's going on here. Arming a fascist militia that happens to be incorporated into the national defense structure uh, of, of a country, like as though that won't have short-run effects when whatever shape the Ukrainian state... Because at this point, I think it's... Yeah, I, th- I don't like making predictions, but I think at this point, you could probably say at some point within the next four or five years, barring the unspeakable, uh, there will be hmm. some kind of Ukrainian state. 
right? Sure. Um, and that, and the people, the people who are going to have a lot of power in it militarily and politically are going to be uh, fascists, yeah. whose reason for existing has been uh, conveniently very legitimized by being invaded by Russia. In a sense, they're kind of legitimizing one another, and it goes back to this. It goes back to, I mean, legitimizing one another in a propaganda sense. There was there was never a way in which the the Russian invasion of Ukraine would have been justified. But one incidental consequence of it is that like the denazification that was kind of a fig leaf for the whole thing would still, I think, have ended up with the leaders of like IDAR and right sector and Azov in prison, right? So like instead of instead of going to prison or getting disappeared, they're going to be um, like an even more yeah. important part of the armed forces, an even more important part of politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- that's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna get worse in a lot of ways. And, um, and, and so the, the and so what's what I mean what a lot of the sort of uh, the sort of the world's dopiest investors are trying to do is put a straightforward well this is this is nice this is not nice label on yeah flooding yeah, you the get country like a, with ethical semtex. you get a rainforest alliance thing on your semtex yeah, that's right you know soil association and I think it's this goes yeah. this goes back to like it's I think it, the, the decision to the decision to like. The decision, I think, it, it goes back to something like where, where you say, right, like the time to like um, to pursue a non-confrontational strategy with Russia was in the 1990s, right? To not like, I don't know, humiliate your, de- to not humiliate and sort of strip mine the economy of your defeated foe, mm. right? Mm. Uh, the time, and, and, and again, like I, th- I tend to think whatever results come out of a time when you're 100% hegemonic are kind of your fault at base. Yeah. Um, Oh, hundred percent. They they had so many options but, with Russia in the nineties. But uh, and equally right when when it be, when it came time, you know, to um, to take that mechanism of foreign policy that 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 sort of delicate sort of mechanism that requires a, a kind of Obama style philosopher king again fucked up all the time, but sort of thought of himself that way to administer it. You end up right. You end up sort of say looking at the situation on the ground in Ukraine, being like, well, there's this group of football hooligans because they were a football firm from Kharkiv called Azov and you know Mm -hmm. we're just going to kind of arm whoever we need to because it's urgent that we take immediate action now and all of a sudden right these guys and groups like them are now completely inseparable from from like they're 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 now metastasized the politics there right don't like you shouldn't they're not currently dominant in politics especially not in the way that they've been portrayed especially not by Russia but like they are there and they're getting more powerful, yeah. and all this war does is make them more powerful. And again, at the very beginning, in 2014, the decision that was, there was a, we, we went in and we said, they're what we have, and so they're what we're going to work with, and, and the, this, the, the, because the big geopolitics switch was on all the time, we sort of made that decision, just like we've made that decision with like every other you know, group that we empower, and then say, well... No more, no blowback from this. This is a straightforwardly ethical thing to do, and yeah, exactly. Like I, I, I think I, I don't think there was a credible way of um, turning the Ukrainian armed forces into what they are today without engaging with fascists in some way and supporting fascists in some way. I think that was a situation we were kind of boxed into. I think, as as you say, it was a decision we made with our eyes open, and it just it makes me think a lot about Libya, right? Because. I think Libya rose from at this same sort of combination of like a genuine horror at 
what was happening and also a kind of like grand geopolitical desire that then resulted in us arming and training some of the worst people in the country and one of them coming back to the UK and blowing up a fucking concert full of children. So I, you know, this all of this shit repeats itself and I just, the only thing that I would ask really is for like enough honesty about it. As we've seen, as we seem to have had this time, right? Because I think people made the the calculation that, like, by and large, the British public didn't give a fuck about Libya. I think they were probably right. Uh, I don't think that's true about Ukraine, and so it's more difficult to just sweep it under the carpet. Um, but I, I I would rather that if we're going to if we're going to do the thing of like, okay, well, we're going to have sort of like um, a position on Libya, a position on Ukraine that requires us to work with people who are not nice and that this may come back to bite us, that we should at least say so mm. at the time. Yeah. Um, or, or, and or plan. That, the fact that that was, that was always a possibility, we, that we know now that that was always a possibility means that, like, I think retroactively it's possible to get much angrier about all of the shit that we did and then lied about. And, and I think further to that, like we, it it goes to show, I think, how little we, how little we actually care about the places that we intervene in, because mm. I'll t I'll tell you this for fucking free, right? As soon as whatever this is, as soon as as soon as there is a say Ukrainian state in place, whether that is after sort of some period of of an insurgency, whether that is uh, after some kind of cynical um, compromise. Or whatever that'll like allows people to rearm, and then the problem's not really solved. Whenever there is one of those again, yeah, and, Minsk yeah, three, yeah, and like you know whatever normal politics is resumes, then we're going to just leave this place flooded with weapons. We're going to leave mm -hmm. it in the hands of newly empowered fascists. Uh, we mm -hmm. are going to just leave it to their devices so long as they continue to ally against us. And I mean, the people who I think we are going to abandon. Are uh, Ukraine's ethnic minorities? We're going to abandon yep. their uh, their sexual minorities. We're going to abandon mm -hmm. uh, religious minorities. Uh, we may abandon quite a few more people because we, with our straightforwardly ethical foreign policy, decided that this was this was something that we sort of had to do, and that you know we are, and that when this is all over, uh, we're going to be done with it, and there is going to be no, there is going to be sort of once once the crisis is over once you know once 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 it sort of retakes its its form whatever that form is and i'm not going to say what form that's going to be or when right you know there is no plan for dealing with these people because i think they're people that we prefer dealing with yeah and i got help them if the if the ukrainians end up in the fucking eu because all we'll do is the same thing that we've done in the balkans which is build them a nice like aluminium and brushed steel and glass building in the center of whatever their capital is that's called like the institute for price stability uh that like whenever anybody suggests doing any kind of social welfare program an eu bureaucrat just fucking like whips the back of their knees with a baton um and then nothing else everything outside that is like whatever dirt roads they can scrape together yeah. so great yeah. fantastic yeah. this is going to go so fucking yeah. well Here, here's here's what we can offer you we can author offer you semtex that we've made ourselves feel good about supplying um mm -hmm. and that's that's it is the thing there's nothing else 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the complex part of it, right? Is I don't think there's like, I don't think there's, as we were saying, there's anything wrong with the strategy they're pursuing currently. It's like what they're likely to do afterwards that's the problem. But that still doesn't mm. make, because I think there are a lot of people who are like, oh, well, like, you know, we should just let the Russians roll in there and do what they're going to do, because that's kind of the pacifist strategy, which is effectively advocating for like a kind of like a Vichy France wasn't so bad type situation. Yeah. Like, think of all the lives that will be saved by having a Vichy France. Um, and I think there's a kind of there is a kind of moral cowardice in that of being like okay so you basically believe that there's nothing worth fighting for and like people people shouldn't be allowed to defend their homes because like someone might get hurt it's kind of like mm. i think it is it is like it, it is a, a fucking pale streak of piss of a moral argument but however if you are going to give them a load of guns and help them defend their homes which i think is the right thing to do on balance you, you know you do that does leave you with some obligations afterwards I think I think the thing is if you do take that line, especially on the left, of being like no war but class war ever, this is I, I would rather like uh just fucking leave the Ukrainians to it. Um, you know, good luck, have fun. Or not even I'm not good getting luck. Involved it's like the Ukrainians should surrender yeah. because less people will die that way. Yeah. Like again, I, I think it's I disagree with it as you do. I think you can make that moral argument. I just as as with fucking NATO, I just wish you would actually make it instead of like dancing around it, pretending like you're not mm. like it's not something you have to address at all. Yeah, hundred percent. Anyway, like you, like you can't fucking like bullshit me on like everything that's ever happened in the world has been NATO's fault, right? Just fucking say the thing that you believe. It's all I ask on both sides. Say the thing that you think would be a like necessary evil here. Anyway. Uh, I note that we've been going for a while, uh, so I think I'm going to say once again a bit of a, a bit of a somber ending to this one. Mm. Remember Deepwell? Remember? Uh, do you the, want to talk about Cum for like yeah, five remember, minutes? Remember that video game company from earlier? Oh yeah, those yeah, guys. They were fun. Yeah, they're going to help uh, the Ukrainians with their mental health. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I think that's going to be that's going to be it for us for today. But thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget, we've got a. Uh, we've got a, a bonus episode every week. It's $5 a month. Oh, wait a second. This was the free one. It was. It's the free one. It's been the free one. Um, yeah, I, I put you on your fucking back foot, you bitch. Yeah, we got, we got plugs, baby. <laughs> you gave him the Shawinigan hatchet. Yeah, that's all right. He wanked me off. Um, yeah, we, we got... <laughs> listener, listener, do not be deceived. I did not wank Milo off. Well, then it wasn't a Shawinigan handshake. Um, <laughs> April 20th in London, there will be a TF live show. Remember the TF live show that was cancelled because Nate and I both had COVID? Well, oh, yeah. it will... It, trash future rides again. No, it'll be cancelled because we all will all get, like, Havana Syndrome. Yeah. yeah, or, like, whatever the next wave of COVID is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, that, yeah. March 27th, I'm in Berlin doing my new show. That's soon. That's going to be, like, as you listen to this, that's going to be this weekend. So yeah. come to that if you're in Berlin. If you're not in Berlin, hey, maybe get a flight. Um, uh, Backyard Comedy Club, London, May the 1st. I'm doing filming my old show, Pindos, finally, actually, this time. Mm -hmm. I've threatened to film it a number of times before. This time, I actually have genuine <laughs> professionals who are not, not going to fuck it up. Yeah, that is right. Yeah. It's it's cursed. <laughs> this show is cursed. Um, but it's happening. Tickets, uh, all these links are on my website, which is in the description. Uh, and April 17th, I'm going to the worst city in Britain, Brighton, uh, to do my mm -hmm. new show, Voicemail. Um, so do come to that. It's being organized by the show, friend of the show, Tom Allen. I, I, I like that sort of for your worst city in Britain, you've chosen what is 
generally thought of as a sort of well-to-do pretty town in the south. I think that's going to turn a lot of people onto us. No, but Milo, yeah. Milo's hatred of Brighton really comes because it's difficult to drive in. That's part of it. So I won't lie to you. Oh, that's part of it. Okay, yeah. 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 I thought it was most the general was sort like, of like lib demness. Of I also it, associate I it with my ex-girlfriend's family, who were really dreadful. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, that's part of the lib demness. All right. Yeah. So. With all that being said, I'm going to thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Do all that stuff that Milo said. Uh, hmm. Fly to Berlin if you're not in Berlin. Uh, and uh, we will see you on the bonus episode in a few days. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.